holy hell, I love photography and I'm good at it. This is so crazy. Like I had no idea. Like, you know, like it's just like discovering a third hand. You're like, where the hell did this come from? This is amazing. Now I can do so much more. One of the names that we feel people, at least the people we hang out with, uh, don't throw out there so often when they're talking about their favorite photographers or uh, who they've been inspired by is uh, Andrea Lindquist. Uh, and to be honest, that kind of blows our minds because in our opinions, she's, uh, she's one of the most consistent and awesome wedding photographers out there. Like so many other great photographers, she is based in Seattle and uh, outside of weddings, she also does really great boudoir work. So if you haven't heard of Andrea, or if you don't follow her work, go Google her right away. Andrea Lindquist. We are uh, over halfway through this podcast series now, where Cole interviews the Way Up North speakers. We haven't decided yet if we'll keep doing the podcast after we're done with all the 10 speakers. So if you have any thoughts on that, or if you have any other questions, ideas, or thoughts in general, uh, please let us know on our Facebook page, Instagram, or Twitter at WayUpNorth2015, or uh, just shoot us an email at uh, info at WayUpNorth.co. All right, here we go then. Andrea Lindquist, May 2015. Okay, so hello, Andrea. I guess we're starting. Oh, hi, I'm Andrea Lindquist. Where are you? I am in my apartment in Seattle, Washington, in the U.S. In Seattle, Washington. In Seattle, Washington. Is it raining? Um, it is not raining. It is my favorite type of day, uh, which is really gray out. So it's cozy. It feels good. I, I love these types of days. So not raining, gray, good. Yesterday was bright blue skies. Today is really overcast and gray. So every, literally every single day is completely different. Yes, Pacific Northwest is that way. Mm -hmm. So I'm in Sweden. Uh, I live here and I got to know a bunch of Swedish photographers. And when I got to know them and we got speaking about you coming to the event this October, they all want to know how Swedish you were. So I asked them if any of them, <laughs> if any of them had any questions for you, that could be uh -huh. the, 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 the measuring stick of how Swedish you might be because none, none of us really knew if you are. So the, the, the going to be in Swedish though, right? No, 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 no. But <laughs> describe what a semlor is. A what? Semlor. Oh, shoot. Um, no idea. Uh, ah. it's, it's a type of roll. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So that's Swedish enough. You, <laughs> you win a semlor when you come here. It's uh, so what it, it's like a pastry basically filled with yeah okay cream. okay that's but it was it seemed like a good question to kind of gauge things but uh is your ancestry swedish yeah so um my great grandma is from sweden and she is from uh smoland i don't know in like the middle i probably am saying it wrong no no uh, that was perfect right like yeah so um her parents lived there and all of, you know, all of the rest of the family. And so, um, she is the, that's the sad thing about Americans is, you know, we don't really hold onto our, our heritage, um, like other countries because we're such a melting pot. And so, um, I always was so interested, like hearing anything I could from her, um, 
you know, just about Sweden or about her family, about her parents and stuff. Um, and then, you know, it really kind of connected for me that the first time I went to Sweden and then now having a whole bunch of Swedish friends because of my study abroad. Um, so so I, I feel like that's when I kind of picked up more of my Swedish heritage was, you know, once I actually went there and, and got to know the people and I was like, oh, I feel, and, you know, every time people would, I feel like people assumed that I was Swedish when I was there. And then at the school I went to in Australia, it was an international school. Um, that's where I initially made all my Swedish friends. And um, they would see my name, Andrea Lindquist, and then they would just start speaking to me in Swedish. <laughs> and then I would have to be like, oh, shoot, sorry, no, I am Swedish by heritage, but I do not speak Swedish. So um, I think so you, people... So no Swedish at all? Um, I mean, just like, hey, hey, and, you know, like little, little things, um, but nothing, I could not, you know, hold any sort of conversation with you. So whatever's written on the walls at Ikea, like, yeah, that <laughs> uh, yeah basically, but not even that, because those are like the weirdest Swedish words, I feel like. Well, Småland, I mean, that's maybe how you can easily say it, because you said it perfectly. So. Oh, good. So your great grandparents then immigrated to the U.S. from Sweden, is that right? Yep. Yeah. And to, um, they lived in the Midwest here in the U.S. So obviously I did not get to meet them because they're my great great grandparents, but, um, I've seen pictures of them and, and, um, my great grandma lived till she was 105. So she was around for a really long time. So she would do, um, this little thing. And I, I don't know, I, I think it's in Swedish, but I did it to one of my Swedish friends and they were like, we have no idea what you're doing. But when we were growing up, she would always go on our, like as a little kid, she would like touch us and go on our forehead, then our chin, then our Adam's apple, then our stomach, and she'd say, Pana, Nesa, Moon, 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 Epla, Plata, Bloom, 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 and then she would tell us. But is that Swedish? Uh, okay, so like I'm not Swedish, but I have, I have, I'm Canadian, I'm married to a Swede, and in my house I have two little, little, little girls. And I hear my wife say that once in a while, and I'm pretty sure that has something to do with going to the bathroom. Oh, I thought it was like Panda was like forehead, Nasa is nose, moon, moon, moon. But I have no idea. She you would you know, what? I might be totally wrong, but I, but I see my wife do something like that. And I don't know what she's saying, but I think it has something to do with the direction of the food and where it's traveling. Oh, but I okay. do not quote me on this at okay. all. Okay. Well, I'm 1000% going to be doing it to my kids and I hopefully can find some more Swedish things <laughs> to do because um, I think it's so sad that, you know, there's like, for the most part with Americans, there's no like continuance of traditions or like teaching about, you know, who your family was and anyway. So I, I think that part's really sad about America. Well, where did you grow up in America? My grandparents were in the Midwest and then he was an orthodontist, my grandpa, so they came out to the, the Northwest for a job. Um, so now all of my family's in the Northwest of the, the United States. And um, I grew up in Spokane, Washington, which is four hours east of Seattle. So it's the other big city in Washington. And um, it's, you know, I wouldn't want to live there again. Seattle is much more me, but it was a great place to grow up. So what was it like growing up? Um, I have a pretty big family. There's six kids in my family now. Um, originally it was four of us and then my parents had more kids when I was in junior high and, um, my parents are divorced. So I, I kind of split time between both houses and I went to 
uh, private Christian schools. Spokane is, you know, I feel like a pretty safe area, at least where we lived in. Um, and um, I was really into sports, and we went skiing a ton on the weekends, and a pretty outdoorsy family went camping. We had a boat. We were always on the lake. So I had a pretty outdoorsy growing up, way more than I am now as an adult. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, it was, it was a good place to grow up. So there, you have six siblings, or there were six altogether. There are six altogether. Wow, that's a that's a big family. Yeah, yeah, I absolutely love having a big family. You know, I feel like if you only have two kids in the family, then if if your sibling is a jerk or whatever, then you're screwed. And you know, if there's six of us, like you're bound to have at least two best friends out of the six. So. Um, it's a kind of a, a wide span of aging, uh, 31 to all the way down to 15. So we're pretty far apart from each other. Well, you just said two kids is not ideal. So I guess I need to get breeding again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow. That's, that's really interesting. Like a big family you're in Spokane. It sounds like you had a fairly outdoorsy kind of upbringing. Did I, did I hear that right? Like what kind of outdoorsy things did you do? Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, I mean, my dad grew up like hunting, fishing, all those things. And so he had three girls originally. So it's like we were not going hunting with him. But um, I, I I did, he he still went hunting, you know, growing up. And I would help him like um, clean the elk and stuff. So in our attic, there'd be this huge half of an elk. And you go up there with a little knife and then you cut off all the fat before it goes to the butcher. Um, but that's as close as I got to hunting. But for the most part, we just, you know, there we're always out on the boat going tubing. Um, our parents, you know, basically tried to kill us tubing on the water, like just mean, mean stuff. And um, we went skiing, you know, almost every weekend in the wintertime. And um, yeah, so I, it's kind of funny now because I don't do any of those things uh, in Seattle. You don't have any elk hanging in your garage? No, there's no hunting <laughs> going on. I do not own a gun, um, although I'm not against that. I um, just haven't got around to it. What else? Uh, we don't have a boat, you know, maybe eventually. There's a ton of water in Seattle, so I would like to eventually. But, yeah, I'm much more of a city girl now than I am, like, the outdoorsy girl. So do you think that you were outdoorsy growing up, or do you think that you were always sort of destined for the city? Um, I, I enjoyed it growing up, like, you know, skiing and boating all those things were so fun and I think what made it you know really fun was just having four there's four of us kids so we were kind of like our own little troop and I really enjoyed growing up with with that element and now you know I I hope to do that with like my kids and stuff to a certain extent um <laughs> my fiance CJ is a little bougie and so um I don't know if we're going to be camping but um I also, you know, as I get older, I just prefer to be clean and, like, <laughs> have nice rooms. And so I definitely have become much more of a city girl. Um, I can do it. I can still put up my own tent. But uh, it doesn't mean that I want to do that on the weekends. So so did you play a lot of sports throughout your teens? Yeah, I did. I played basketball, you know, through junior high. And then our, because my family's divorced, my dad wanted us to only pick two sports so that we had an off season so we would have more family time. And so I chose volleyball and track. Volleyball was my like big sport and I was an outside hitter and then a defensive specialist. So that's like the middle back. Um, that's the person like getting all the hard, you know, spikes and stuff. So uh, 
volleyball was my absolute favorite, and I was captains of both both teams and of track and um, volleyball. And it was yeah, sports was a huge part of me, and I'm really really competitive. I think that transfers now to like you know a sense of competitiveness with my own self with my business, but. I I'm like so competitive and um, sounds like sounds like you were competitive at least growing up on team sports more so than individual ones. Oh yeah, I don't I individual sports I didn't really do. I guess track is kind of an individual sport, but it's also a team sport. So um, yeah, I I was more so competitive of like getting people riled up and getting them excited and like. And like channeling, you know, our energy. Like I was the person like screaming in the middle of the um, whatever the huddles and stuff. Like I felt bad because my, you know, maybe my junior and senior year, my coach like I just couldn't help myself. Like he never even. My coach literally never even talked in the middle of the huddles. It was always me. Like and then then I would be like, oh shit, like. He didn't say anything, but I just like couldn't help myself. I had so much to say. So were you, would you describe yourself as kind of a loud person growing up or loud, but vocal, however you want to phrase it, but were you kind of like the outgoing one? Yeah, totally. CJ and I were just talking yesterday, like, who were you? You know, were you, what would you be described as the jock, the, the class clown, all those things. Like I was an athlete, I was in ASB. And so I was like the social chair and the secretary different years. And so I was always the one, you know, during like class assemblies or chapels up in front and on the mic and, and talking and introducing. So I've always really enjoyed, you know, speaking and being in front of people and being sort of, you know, in a leadership role. That's I've always gravitated towards that. And I always have, I think, also enjoyed being in control. Um, so that's definitely a big part of my personality. So you've never lacked confidence, it appears. No, I haven't. And I hope it doesn't come across in a, you know, a bad way ever. Um, but it's, it's really honestly just naturally who I am. I've always gravitate. Like I always have ideas. I always want to be like the one to generate those ideas into groups. And, um, I've always had really like a creative spirit in me that I never considered myself, you know, as an artist or anything like that. Cause when you're in high school, it's just more so like, you're just doing sports and leadership roles. So it's not really seen as an art, but that, that was a big part of me. And, um, yeah, it's, I don't know. It's just, it's just in me. How old were you when your parents were divorced? Um, my parents got divorced when I was pretty young. I was five. Um, so I don't have very many memories of them together. Um, my, I think my very first memory is them actually telling us that they were getting a divorce, which is kind of crazy. Um, I still remember everything about that conversation, and and then you know since then my my mom has been remarried. Um, now she is, but for the most part, growing up she was single. And then uh, my dad remarried um, when I was a kid, and so they've been married now for they just had their anniversary, twenty two years. So um, both parents are remarried, and um, yeah, it's been basically my whole life. I've I've been from you know kind of a mixed family. Sounds like you had quite a few influences uh, around you. If like if your parents were if they broke up and then you were this independent person, I, I just see you as being really outgoing and kind of maybe finding influences from outside of your family. Maybe. Yeah, yeah. I think it's interesting with divorce. Like it is, it kind of you know instills a independent spirit in you right from the beginning because 
um, you know, for the most part, I was kind of going between two households that had very different rules and very different, like, dynamics. And so I wasn't really, you know, necessarily like my, I obviously was my parents' child, but I think that kind of encouraged me to be more independent and become my own self because I was going back and forth, you know, between very different dynamics. And so, um, yeah, I think that just kind of instilled a more like singular self of, in me and then also more unity between our, our siblings. Cause we were kind of, you know, the ones going back and forth all the time, but we were always together. Wow. That's, that is interesting. So, so it sounded like your dad was gutting out animals and doing kind of those types of things, throwing his kids in boats. What was your, well, maybe he was like that, but that maybe he wasn't, but like, that's what he sounds like. But what was, what was your mom like? Or what is she like? She is still here. So yes, she is alive. Um, uh, my mom is like the ultimate cheerleader. She is at every single event. She, um, you know, I think that I can, a big part of me comes from her. I'm a very touchy person. She's very touchy. We're very, you know, kind of lovey people, very outgoing. Um, she can talk to anybody. She's a hairdresser. So, you know, her job is to have anyone in her chair and be able to, in a sense, kind of entertain them and talk to them and stuff. So um, I kind of get my bubbly spirit from her. And um, now as an adult, she's still pretty much the same way with me. You know, she knows everything that I'm doing. She follows me on social media and knows every in and out of my life and she's very very supportive and she really is like my ultimate cheer um cheerleader which is which is amazing so she is an, a wonderful mom so you're not saying that just because you know she'll listen to this are you no she is gonna be the first person <laughs> to download this <laughs> for sure uh i know that so hey mom but uh, no i'm not saying that by yeah, any means no. like that is the that is the truth and she you know, she, for the most part, was a single mom for all of my upbringing. And so she really sacrificed a lot and worked really hard. And I honestly have no idea how she did what she did for us. But um, I'm really happy that, you know, she's in a really good place and she's married now. And um, she gets to be kind of a little bit more, have someone there to take care of her, which is great. So what was your dream growing up? What did you want to become? I'm a hunting guide in Spokane, gutting out elk. Well, that was a very small aspect of <laughs> uh, the hunting. Um, I actually wanted to be, I always said I wanted to be like a journalist or a newscaster. So I think that's still the element of like speaking. I've always loved speaking. And um, I I don't know, I just had this idea like, oh, I'm going to be a journalist. And, um, and then when I got older, I wanted to be uh, an event planner. So that's what when I went to um, Australia to study abroad I went to an international business school and studied event planning there um, and then you know event planning I figured out was kind of a crazy business and not what I wanted to do and so then photography kind of accidentally happened when I thought I was going to be doing event planning so that's kind of been my path I, I haven't had that many career aspirations um, besides I always knew that I would own my own business um, Every single person in my family for generations, no one works for anyone else. Every single person is an entrepreneur, which um, is just kind of built into me. So I always knew I would own my own business. That's interesting. I, Jakob and I were speaking about that uh, fairly recently, that we do think we do think that entrepreneurship is, is in people's DNA. Mm-hmm. I didn't always say that. I, I used to think I was just unemployable. So 
becoming entrepreneurs was just the path for me. But it sounds like you have kind of an entrepreneurial heritage, if you want to say that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That's something I think I'm, I'm very proud of that. And, um, you know, it's a big part of who I am. Like a lot of times people can ask like, Oh, how did you have the confidence to just start your own business or how did you do it? Or, you know, and a big part of me because I'm independent and I also don't like taking people's advice or I don't feel the need to ask their advice, I guess is a better way to put it. I just, you know, set out and did it. And I think that, you know, for the most part with, with entrepreneurs, there's, I think that you can be trained and you can figure it out and you can be mentored and you can be helped along and maybe that's one type of an entrepreneur. And then I think there's a different type of entrepreneur where it's literally just in their DNA and, you know, that's not to say that the end result is any different, but I feel like, you know, the way that I grew up and everything, like, it really instilled in me just that entrepreneurial spirit. And I'm so, so glad for that. So I, I remember the first time I did something entrepreneurial. I was, <laughs> I think I was 11 or maybe I was 10, but I started painting the parking lot lines at the uh, grocery stores in my hometown. Nice. $10 a line. It was my 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 epiphany moment mm-hmm. um, for what being an entrepreneur could be a fun thing or, or whatever. Do you, do you remember your first entrepreneurial thing that you did that sort of opened your eyes? Ooh, that's a good question. I mean, honestly, us kids were always doing stuff to make money growing up. Like we had like a on the side of the road bead store that no one ever bought anything from, but we would make all these beads and then like necklaces and stuff. And then we were trying to sell them. Uh, you know, I guess even prior to that would be, I did, uh, I did make a good amount of money off of my lemonade stand. Um, me and my best friend had one on this really busy road in the the town that I was growing up in at the time. And we made a lot of money because people always stopped. It was such a busy road. After that, what have I done entrepreneurial? Um, I, in high school, um, always pierced girls ears in the bathroom. And my mom is a hairdresser, so she had a gun, an ear-piercing gun. So I would pierce ears in the bathroom on, you know, just the lunch breaks. And then I got in trouble because <laughs> the principal found out and it was like a liability. Uh, and then, but, but you were getting paid to do this? Yeah. I mean, just like five bucks. Hustler. But I like it. Still. Um, and then in college, you know, there's always been kind of this like hair and whatever kind of aspect of myself that comes from my mom. So... I used to cut, you know, all the guys' hair in college, like my my roommate's boyfriends and the soccer team, and so I'd make like 10 bucks off a person, and then I would also wax everyone's um, eyebrows in the dorms. Like once a month, we'd have like wax night, and everyone would come, and they'd just like pay me $3. So I've always been kind of hustling, making side money, and it's not like it was making me rich, but um, I've always been using those talents to make money. So have you thought about yourself like as an entrepreneur kind of since a, an early age or did you grow into it like we sort of we sort of agree that it's in your dna but it, yeah. sometimes you need a uh, a shock to the system or an experience to happen to kind of go down that path so did you kind of have something happen that made you feel that way i think i think for the most part looking back it's always been in me like i even in the aspect of speaking and being in leadership roles, I think that that plays into a big part of who I am now and that confidence to just do, you know, this is my idea, I'm going to do it and follow through on it and I'm not going to be scared about the result, I'm just confident in that. 
So I think that aspect is definitely has always been in me. And then, um, you know, another big part of it is like not really caring what people think. Um, you know, what, the, what led me into having an audience when I began my photography was I had started a blog maybe the year prior and I, there's, you know, I remember getting shit about like, oh, why are you writing a blog? They're like getting kind of joked like back, you know, it was a while ago. So not everyone back then had blogs. And I remember my roommates kind of giving me shit about it. Like, what are you even going to write about? But I didn't care. And I like, I thought, you know, I have a voice. I'm going to write about whatever topics. And I would start reviewing like shops in Seattle or give my opinion about what to do. And you know, eventually that built an audience, and then eventually when I figured out I was going to do photography, I already kind of had an audience built. So, ah, um, handy. Yeah, just not caring what people think and, and being confident in your own ideas, I think, is a huge part of being an entrepreneur. So when did you move to Seattle, and why did you move to Seattle? Uh, I moved to Seattle in 2005, um, you know, the summer after I graduated from high school, my parents drove me over, literally unpacked the car and dropped me off in college and left. And so I... Um, like, are, are you exaggerating? Or did no, that actually I just, happen? No, stay for any events. Like, most parents stay for the whole weekend. They go to all the, you know, events. Like, that was not the case. So, you know, that's kind of the way my family rolls. They just drop you off and let you figure it out on your own. So, so is, was that like... Like just tough love, you got to figure it out, or was there some sort of like negative vibes going on? Because uh, no, I don't think there was negative vibes. Like maybe that, you know, <laughs> on my dad's side is more independent than my mom. Obviously, if it was my mom, she'd have been like the, there the whole time. But they just you're like, okay, we provided you with the drive, and we unpacked the car for you, and now you're in college. We'll see you at Christmas. Wow. So um. Yeah, and, you know, I think that that influences, you know, who I am. Like, okay, figure it out, like, and whatever. So um, I moved to Seattle then, and I've been and, in Seattle for 10 years. Sorry, go ahead. Oh, no, I, I was going to jump in and say, like, what, what did you go to school for? I originally started going to school for business, and then I was like, oh, this is way too hard. <laughs> this is not the way my brain works. Um like, I have never been good at math. My brain just does not calculate math well. And so once I started getting into, you know, statistics and whatever, I was just like, this is terrible. So I switched and did communication with a minor in business. So it's still, I still was doing business and communication, but I switched them. So, yeah, that's what I graduated with. Uh, and were you kind of like grinding it out? on the side, would you say, with part-time jobs? And or were, you, were you doing actual jobs on the side or were you like piercing people's ears in bathrooms <laughs> still? Or like what kind of stuff did you do on the side? Um, I was a nanny in school. I don't, the, my freshman year of college, I didn't, I didn't work. And then I figured out that I needed to make money. And, um, and so then I started nannying and that was a really great job. You know, I love kids and it was also kind of an easy job of just taking care of kids. So I did that throughout college and I actually just shot the senior photos for the kid that I nannied um, last week, which is so <laughs> weird that he's no like way. an adult and has a man voice and oh, it's so weird. Oh, that's cool. It is. It was really cool. And, you know, the family that I nanny for lives like a mile, like not even a mile from where I live now. So it's kind of funny. But um, yeah, so I nanny during school and it wasn't like an intense job. Um, 
I graduated with more like student loans, so it's not like I was like paying off my school okay. while I was going to school. But um, yeah, that's what I did. Where did Australia come into the picture? Um, I wanted to study abroad, and so I think my sophomore year, I was just like, I'm going to study abroad, and so I started looking at programs and found this school that you know, for the most part in America, like event planning is not something that you can study, and in in Europe or in Australia, the education system is different and, you know, you take time off and then you know what you want to do and then you can study that exact thing. So I found a school um, that was in Manly Beach and um, they offered event planning. So no one had ever gone to that school. It wasn't like an approved school through our um, study abroad program, but I got it okayed. So I had to go to each professor and say like, listen, these are the courses I'm going to be taking. What could this be, you know, an equivalent to at SPU? And then I got it okay. And um, so I made it happen. And then I went to Australia my junior year, the beginning, the first quarter. So I was gone for from September to December. And it was such an uh, amazing experience. I absolutely loved it. So was that for a year? No, it wasn't for a year. It was just uh, one quarter. So it was uh, three months. It was a little over three months. Okay, so fast forward a couple of years and like you're kind of winding down your degree in communications. Yeah. Uh, what did you think that you would end up doing at that point? Did you think you were going to do event planning at that stage? Or was there something else you felt that you were going to be doing? Yeah, no, I did. I, um, I thought I was definitely going to be doing event planning for my career. And so I had been working for, this was my second year doing event planning for a venue here in Seattle. So I've actually done 200, around 200, um, or had my hands on, um, event planning for 200 weddings. So I have been in the wedding industry for a long time. And um, So what year was this, sorry? Um, this was 2000, 2008 and 2009. I was an event planner. So up to now, we're like, I don't know. 30 minutes into our conversation and I, I'm not picking up like any artistic stuff, which is cool, which is cool because like I, I, I kind of look at artistic entrepreneurs as coming at it from from two angles. Uh, one angle is you like you are an artist first and foremost, and and the economics of being an artist kind of gets integrated into your into your life a little bit. Or you come from the other side where where you're an entrepreneur who discovers an artistic talent later that that you can make viable into kind of a career. So when did these two worlds kind of come together for you? Yeah, that's such an interesting um, perspective, which is so true. I, so um, basically how the story went was I, you know, I lived in Australia. I made all these friends, um, these Swedish girlfriends of mine, and we stayed in touch. So then I went back to school. I graduated. I did another year of event planning, and then I was just like, okay, I'm really burned out of this particular job, so my my season there was over, and then I was like, I'm going to go live abroad, but then I found out that living abroad was really hard to find a job and like, get a visa and all that stuff, so I was like, JK, I'm just going to go take a trip to Sweden, so I went to Sweden, and uh, I met up with all my girlfriends and like traveled all around and met new friends and stayed with people that were friends of friends, and that's when I started shooting. My mom had given me a, a Canon Rebel 
like the day before I left and was like, oh, here's a camera I've been using, you know, go ahead and use it. And so it was a really great trip. I was there for a month traveling around alone and in Stockholm I, or all over. Yeah, I flew into Stockholm and um, and then I went to Uppsala. I went to um, Gothenburg, uh, Malmo, Lund. Uh, where else did I go? Um, I'm sure a couple other places I'm forgetting. And then I went over to Copenhagen. I went to Paris. I went to London. And then I went back to Stockholm. So it was a badass Euro trip with some Swedish friends, basically. Yeah. Yeah. And at that time, you had a camera that your your mom gave you. Yep. Did you have your blog at that time? Yeah. So that's that's when like the voice. That's when it all kind of joined together. And, I had and sorry to sorry to cut you off, but this was two thousand nine. This was two thousand nine. Yeah. Okay. Oh, two thousand nine. Ish, ish. It does it doesn't matter exactly when, but ish. <laughs> this is October of two thousand nine. So I started shooting just kind of like street style and stuff, and then like editing them and like, you know, whatever comes on your computer is just, I'm sure I would just die if I saw the photos now, but, um, well, I'm sure you could dig them. I'm sure you could dig them up. The internet doesn't bury things. <laughs> oh no, they're there. They're there. Um, and, uh, I started blogging them and just kind of telling people about each city I was in. And then people kind of started making comments like you take really good photos. And then I was like, Oh shoot, I do like, these are actually good. And I had no interest in photography ever before. And so by the end of the trip, it was honestly like a really life-changing trip for me personally. And then I came home and I was like the happiest I'd been. And, you know, I'm a very driven person and that can be, that can go two ways. And sometimes, you know, I, I'm kind of tunnel vision on what I want to achieve and I kind of miss the personal aspects in my life. That's something I struggle with for sure and so it was a like great you, you have struggled with that or you do struggle with I, that? I still do I still do like my business comes first always and I definitely miss out on things and just the nature of you know travel and photography like it's not even always my choice I just miss out on things and so that is something that you know is a constant theme for me um so I came home and I was just like this I had this new passion I was like I I'm supposed to be a photographer. I know that I am. And so I had, I think, three or four interviews set up in PR. I was going to try and start doing PR um, aspects of event planning. And then I just knew that photography was it for me. And so I started um, serving at a restaurant, which I'd never done before, so that I had free time. And, you know, all my friends at that point had jobs in, like, finance and advertising and all this stuff. So I was, like, the only one in the house doing something that was – on me, you know, and also was like, oh, you just got this expensive degree and now you're just going to go be a waitress. And so, um, you know, within a couple months I got, I was starting to pick up, you know, business and it was so crazy. I remember being like, oh my gosh, someone sent me an email and they want me to shoot something. It was like so crazy. And so once I got to a certain point, I quit that job and started nannying for a couple days. And then Within a year of when I came home from Sweden, I went full-time with photography. And so that's kind of when it became real for me and um, it became a business for me. And you had an audience that was fairly significant before the photography kind of got integrated into your blog. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I wouldn't say it was a significant audience. I have no idea how many readers I had back then. But I had an audience and I it wasn't just like out of nowhere. Like people... And that was kind of the cool part was, you know, even to this day, I have people that are like, 
I have been, you know, following you literally from the beginning, like when you went to Sweden and that's obviously a, a small number, but, um, so people kind of got to watch my journey happen and me kind of figure out photography, which was kind of cool. So was that audience your first client base? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Having, having gone to school in Seattle and having a network of people my age, you know, getting engaged, whatever, not everyone was getting engaged back then. We were still young, but, um, that is my, you know, that was my first audience. And then that honestly has been part of the snowball effect of now I'm, you know, shooting clients that are uh, across this, the U S but somehow maybe sometimes there's a connection of like, you know, how they found me way back when connected to one of my very first shoots. What I think that hindsight is like so amazing being able to connect the dots sometimes. So when I hear like I'm, I, I'm picking similarities between um, your your background and, and the background that Jakob and I have. And mm-hmm. when, when we describe what we've done with our business, I like we usually start the conversation by saying that was really stupid and naive and, and you shouldn't do it, what we did at all, <laughs> which is the truth. And when I hear what you're saying, it sounds to me like. I'm not saying what you did was stupid. It's not. But but I'm thinking about Seattle and Seattle is it's such a competitive place. Yeah. So for you to go in with such gusto and confidence, it sounds to me like like it's similar in that maybe you were slightly naive to how competitive and talented that region was. Yeah. Do you feel that way? Yeah. I mean, I don't think that it was naive. I think that it's... Um... I mean, like, thank God I was naive, you know, maybe, but I didn't think that I was naive. Uh, I just knew that, you know, honestly, from the very beginning, I was so passionate about what I was doing that I think that when you have that, like, true passion, it blasts past, like, any fear of, like, what are people thinking or, oh, my gosh, there's a million photographers in Seattle. Like, what am I even doing breaking into this market? So there was no... There was no sense of that for me because I had no idea what the industry was like. All I knew was like I was being incredibly fed by doing photography and so I wasn't worrying about anything else. So you were incredibly passionate about like the creative output or running your own business or or like what what were what was giving you that shot in the ass that you that you didn't have before? Yeah, I mean, I honestly I think it was just discovering like holy hell I love photography and I'm good at it. This is so crazy. Like I had no idea. Like, you know, like it's just like discovering a third hand. You're like, where the hell did this come from? This is amazing. Now I can do so much more. And so that's really what it was for me was just discovering, you know, all of a sudden and not, not to say that I was like so good or anything when I began, but I was like, I felt like there was a natural ability that I had no idea about. Like, you know, I was 22 or 23 and then I'm like, oh, this is something I'm good at. And I had no idea. It was just like, the, I think I was just in shock. What was the, the biggest mistake you made in the beginning? So uh, we'll call it 2010, your first year, maybe. Does that sound about right? Uh, I mean, it was October when I first picked up a camera. So yes, for sure. It was 2010. I was doing my first paid jobs. So what was your biggest fuck up? Uh, shoot. Um, I, I don't know. Like, I don't really regret a ton. I would say maybe, I don't know. I was shooting stuff that I wouldn't shoot now, but I was, you know, I wanted to try everything back then. So that was good. 
you know, I was like putting up images and I was cropping them really weird. Like I think the aesthetics, maybe I was like, okay, we need to, oh yeah. Now I remember I, I would do like these stupid texts, like, you know, like not like inspirational quotes, but like words on it or something. And like, oh God, I wish I would have never done that. But that was in the very beginning. <laughs> um, so yeah, I, I would like to take that back. Oh, wow. I'm pretty sure everybody's done that. Yeah. So as you got going, like what were like what were some of the things that you felt were successful in the beginning that you could kind of see uh, snowballing into long term things that would you know give your business you know longevity? Um, from the very very beginning, I've always said experience. Experience is so important to me, and so you know in the very beginning there was a lot of excitement and like oh my gosh, you want to hire me? This is amazing let's go shoot forever, you know, and giving people just a very excited experience. And now, you know, as I've developed a brand and my, my person into a brand, um, I still experience is number one, so important to me. And when I have that like amazing connection with people, that's, that is my truest, best experience that I can give people. Um, so that obviously doesn't always, always happen a hundred percent of the time, but um, that's my ideal is that's why, you know, really aim for being matched up with clients that are such a great fit because then I can be my true self with them and give them the experience that they deserve and that they're coming to Andrew Linkless for. So this question just popped in my head and it yeah. could be completely random, but you said you were doing a bit of waitressing, um, yeah. to kind of get by, like, what did that teach you that you could carry over into photography? Oh, absolutely. The, you know, the place that I went was not went. The place that I waitressed really encouraged you to to get to know every single table. And so now I get frustrated sometimes when I go to restaurants because of the way that I was trained was, you know, spend time with people, ask them about their day, get to know them, know their names, know your customers when they come back in and have this personal experience. And so that is 100% something that I definitely carry through into my business now and that you know, something that I speak about and try and teach is being able to give that personal experience and that personal connection. Like people don't want to just hire a vendor. They want to hire a human and a personal connection and they, people are hungry for that. And so on the smallest level of waitressing, you know, you can have that connection and you can, you can make a table feel so, um, so welcome and well taken care of. And that and is going to influence, you know, how they see the brand as a whole. Sorry, go ahead. Oh, I, I was just thinking, like, that's how you get good tips. Well, yeah, and I mean, that's how, that is how you get good tips. So, so like, I guess that's where I was sort of going with this a little bit. Like, you could you knew how to sell yourself to get good tips. Do you think that you were selling yourself to get clients in the beginning, or was it actually your art that was that was the hook? Mm, I think that I've always led with experience and leading with. I want people to want to work with me. Yes, I want them to want amazing images, but I want them to want to work with me. So I think that I've always led with kind of selling myself as an experience and as a, a brand um, from the very beginning. Yeah. Now, I mean, now, of course, you're in a different situation now, of course. I mean, I, I wouldn't ask you that now um, because your art speaks for itself. But, but I know in the beginning, maybe you need to look at some of your strengths and maybe it was your personality in the, in the beginning. I don't, I don't know. Yeah, totally. I think, and I don't know that it was necessarily like a super conscious decision. It just kind of felt, felt right. Like I, 
it's never been about just the images and it's always been about like our connection and their experience with me and my experience with them. And that just felt, that wasn't like something I just like wrote down and in my book one day and was like, this is, this is what I'm going to lead with my business felt really right. And then I kind of picked up like, Oh, okay, this is what it is. So yeah, it was just kind of natural. I feel. So over the years, like you're established now, obviously. um, And I, and I think that there maybe comes a point where you, you feel not comfortable and not complacent, but, but maybe like you, you're, you've kind of hit the point where you're not playing house anymore with your mm-hmm. business. Do you, mm-hmm. do, do you ever have that feeling? That I was playing house? No, that you weren't any longer, perhaps. Oh, um, you know, as we've kind of established, like I don't necessarily have a problem with confidence. So I never was like, oh, I think there was a point, you know, where you're kind of like faking it till you make it almost like making sure that you're conscious about what you're putting forward and what you're putting online. Um, to kind of, you know, help grow yourself and establish yourself. But honestly, like, I don't think that it's something you ever really get used to, like the fact that you can just come up with an idea and put it on the internet and then people will hire you for it. Like that never gets old to me. And that's always like, what the heck? Like, you know, and that's, that's more so with like projects and specific ideas or, you know, um, having launched my workshops last year, it's like literally an idea that I had in a plane. And then now it's like, this amazing part of my life. And so I honestly never get, it never like has become real to me that like, I'm not just kind of like coming up with random ideas in my head and then <laughs> that, becomes, that becomes my, you know, like way I live. Uh, I, like, I like your style. So do you, do you feel like you're a strategic thinker? Oh, 1000%. Yes. And in, in what way? I mean, I am never, for the most part, anything that I'm putting out, there's a reason why I'm doing it. And that's something that you know, I've kind of taught on and spoke on it just about like subliminal messaging. And I think that if you have an audience and people are listening, you might as well take advantage of it. And I don't, and, the, and I don't want this to be taken in like a, a negative, you know, way. It's not a, like a manipulation or I'm trying to get people to do what I want. <laughs> I am, but, um, I think that you smart business owners and smart photographers should be, making pointed decisions and being, you know, having put out specific things to accomplish a certain thing. So I'm very strategic in in my business and with photography. So was launching your workshops, was that a result? Okay, you're on a plane, maybe you're having a a beverage and you just had this (laughs) epiphany. But but like when you started your workshops, I mean, obviously the demand was there. um, But but where was the demand coming from? Like what kind of a target market was, was saying, I need to take your workshop? I wanted to design it to be something that I would want to go to. And so that, you know, the the demographic that I'm targeting is people just like me. And so that's why I feel like there's been such a, well, while we're at the workshop, is like such an intense family feeling is, you know, I'm not really attracted to a lot of the things that that go on in the photography industry because they kind of feel um, they can only remain at surface level because there's so many people or you know whatever but i think that if you're you're making conscious decisions to attract people like you then i'm not having to make any like false connections or you know whatever it's all of those are true and so i wanted to honestly just design a experience for people that i if it was me on the other hand i'd be like oh hell yes i'm going to this so that's why it's more than just about photography it's about branding it's about 
you know, providing people that are good, good um, vegan meals. Uh, we do yoga. You're a vegan now. What does your dad? What does your dad say about this? Oh my god! My <laughs> I mean... like, their their first question is like, "What do you eat?" I'm like, <laughs> everything basically, but you just have to retrain your brain. Um, <laughs> so yeah, there's. I, I wanted it to be like an all inclusive, not just focus on photography, but really like a retreat. And so the people that are like me are going to be attracted to that. And that's, you know, I've been really blessed by the overwhelming, like, um, you know, I guess, uh, attraction to what I've been, what we've been putting together for the oh shit stuff. Well, when we, when we made the website, um, for way up North and we plucked one of your videos, um, from somewhere online, or maybe you sent it, I can't remember. Yeah. I showed it to my wife and I didn't tell her what it was like what it was. I just, I just said, watch this and tell me what you think. And, and then afterwards I asked her like, what do you think that was for? And she's like, maybe, maybe a women's retreat or like a, a stag at party or something. Uh-huh. So the reason she said that was she didn't see any males in the video. Yeah. So do a lot of, do a lot of guys come to your workshops or is it by design that it's, <laughs> you're only showing women? Yeah, there, there's no invitation for men to go. So um, it's been to this today is only females can go and that's, you know, for a reason. And I, I do feel bad in one sense of like not opening up to the guys, but it will bring on a whole different aspect if it's guys and girls. And I think that, you know, we're definitely growing it and excited about the future. So I'm not saying that's not going to happen, but you know, honestly, it's like, I can't walk around with like a shirt on and no bra if there's like dudes there and, and like girls just feel <laughs> more at ease and like we have girl talk and you know we're in the hot tub together and people are laying out and like there's a lot of like the conversations that happen you know I encourage one of the rules that we have is don't always be a talk so like we want people having like girl talk and drinking wine and stuff so there's a reason why there's not guys there it would totally change the dynamic of what we have going on so when you did your euro road trip with your Swedish girlfriends yeah is that, is that where all this came from you just Wanted to kind of recreate that? No, no, no. I was, uh, I mean, they were, we weren't road tripping. They were just in cities. Yeah, and I know. Some of them were guys, actually. So I'm not a total, like, you know, I'm not totally exclusive to women. So, um, well, on the surface, like the workshops, don't they sort of sound a little sexist? I mean, I don't know. Do they? I don't know. I'm, I'm, just, <laughs> I, this is a conversation. I'm just thinking out loud here because I'm thinking, I'm just putting, I'm just thinking for Nordica. We're two yeah. guys. We're two guys. Two dudes. If we said we're having a workshop and no women are allowed, that would be received in in a way that probably would like not go over very well. So and it's, it's you know what that's a double standard that's not fair. But I'm taking advantage of that. Um, so yeah, I, I guess when you put it that way, maybe it is a little exclusive. Um, and there have been guys that have emailed me and that are like, can I please come and this isn't fair and whatever. And it's kind of, it's, it is hard, but it just, for what we're doing, it makes sense. And you know what I have planned, I don't think guys would want to do all those things. Like, (laughs) so, you know, when we do come out with, oh shit, whatever, and dudes and girls are invited, it's going to be something that girls and guys want to be a part of. But what I'm planning for now is like, you know, they're getting gift bags with like all this girl stuff in it. So, you know, I don't think that they're going to want to be a part of it at this point. <laughs> I'm not sure either, but <laughs> I'm just trying to think. I'm just thinking out loud here about yeah. how it's pretty admirable that you've like pulled it off, to be honest, because you have cut an entire 
gender out of the equation. And I'm sure there's more male photographers than there is female. I honestly, until you said it today, like, I didn't think of it that way. And um, maybe that's, I think, <laughs> maybe that's a theme that I'm like, blessed with a little bit of naivety of like, I'm just going to do this. And I, I didn't really realize there was that other aspect to it. Do you feel that you're, do you have like strong political views of any sort? Like, Oh, good Lord. Like, like I'm just like the, in the re, the only reason I'm asking this now is because I'm like, the idea just came in my head. Well, is she a feminist? And, oh yeah. Which is I mean, fine. If you are, that's all yeah. good. Um, I think, you know, from what I understand about the definition of feminism is just the, um, treatment of equal or whatever equality between sexes. So if that's the definition, then I'm definitely a feminist. Uh, I, you know, if I have daughters, like I want to instill in them, like you, you are just as equal as men. And that's a dynamic that is really important between CJ and I is like establishing early on in our relationship. Like I enjoy doing female things like cooking for him and all those things. And I'm a very female woman, but you know, that's not to say that like I, I'm, I would definitely the competitiveness in me is like, I can beat any guy. I'm just as good as any guy. My business can be just as success as any guy. So that is a, you know, that's a fire within me for sure. Um, it's not about beating guys. It's just about the fact that just because I'm a girl doesn't mean that I can't have a successful business and achieve what a male can in his business. It's interesting. I, I like your style. <laughs> which is good because you're coming to the event. But uh, one thing that just kind of kind of rolled around in my head there when you when you said that was earlier you said you you more or less don't pay attention to the photography industry or you're, you don't you're not like too involved in that. Yeah. Do you do you feel that maybe one of the reasons why you're not too involved in it is because of how males and females are viewed in the in the industry? Because I think they're viewed differently and it kind of sickens me. Um, and I can give you specific examples if you want, but uh, but I'll just let you kind of go with that if you even feel that way. Yeah, I think that, you know, I, I really am about quality over quantity. And so I enjoy the Seattle community of photographers and I know, you know, a good amount of them, but I don't enjoy the aspect of only staying at a surface level with people and then seeing them year by year by year. But you only know them to a certain extent. And so um, I would prefer, if I'm going to spend time, would I rather spend it in a group or would I rather spend it one-on-one? -on -one? I would rather spend it one-on-one. -on -one. So that's kind of how my personality is. Um, and yeah, I just, I've never, I don't know. I think that honestly a big part of it is like I don't follow a lot of blogs and I don't follow a lot of people because I just have a lot of shit going on and I don't have time <laughs> to read blogs. And so... You know, if there's something that's getting passed around, like uh, your guys' work, when it's like, everyone's like, oh, God, you have to see this. Oh, look at their work. Like, yes, there's certain people that I will click on and follow. But um, I think that, and I also think a different part of it is, is like, you know, if you're going to set out to write a paper and you read someone else's paper, you are going to subconsciously design your paper in the same kind of format or you're going to pick up on certain things. And so for me, I think it's really important to, um, you know, remain independent minded and not just be doing something because someone else and you're not choosing to do that, but it's just subconscious. That's how the human works. And so I, you know, that is a point of why I don't follow a lot of people is because I just want to focus on my own thing.
So when someone asks you like, okay, you're a photographer, that's probably what, like, what do you do for a living? People, you'll probably answer that you're a photographer. Yeah. What, what genre of photography do you, do you feel is you're the most passionate about? Yeah. I say, you know, when people, when people ask me that question, I usually say I do a lot of travel weddings and I shoot a lot of boudoir. Um, I think that something that a lot of wedding photographers can identify with is as a whole, when you tell someone you're a wedding photographer, there's kind of like this internal connotation of like, oh, so you do a lot of like pictures with hands and hearts and stuff like that. And, you know, and that is just the way with art, like any music, you can say you're a musician, you have no idea what their sound is like. And so you can kind of describe it, but really you have to experience it to be able to understand what it is. And so I try and not worry too much about the fact of like when you explain what you're doing, you say wedding photographer or whatever, but mainly, you know, my, most of my weddings are, I shoot like one or two, I feel like actually in the city of Seattle a year. So most of all of my work is travel. Um, and so, yeah, that's what I tell people. So, so destination weddings is like, if there was a, if there was a little pie chart, that one would be the biggest one. Yeah. As as opposed to boudoir or commercial or anything else. Yes, it would be definitely mostly travel weddings. And then bourgeois would come a close second. Well, that's good to know because you're speaking at a wedding photography conference. <laughs> yes, yeah. But I, but I, but I sort of, I actually, I brought that up a little bit because I think that you probably could succeed at, at whatever you want. And I think about your commercial work and, and all the other things that you do. And do those things? Do you look at the other genres as something that has um, has more longevity for you versus the destination weddings? Uh, I ask that because like just my situation, for example, I have these two little kids running around and and I'm not going to travel every weekend for weddings. So have you looked a little bit down the road at at other? 1000% like, you know, travel, as you know, is something that's really hard and I'm already trying to be really careful for next year. Having it be my first married year, first year, me and CJ living together. Like I know that I'm going to be wanting to be home more and be with him and it's just travel is really hard and so um, I'm always kind of allowing myself to adapt to where I'm at personally and right now travel is something that takes a lot out of me and so I want to be pointed and be really um, choosy about the ones that I take on. The other aspects of my business, you know, commercial, bourgeois, the workshops, like I definitely think that those are for me more, um, you know, long term. What I see for myself is doing like I can't even tell you how fulfilled I am through doing the oh shit workshops like it I feel like what we've been able to achieve with it is real and it's actually impacting people and it's you know we've kept them to a small amount of people that can attend and so that there's a lot of one-on-one interaction and it doesn't remain surfacy it's like everyone feels like a family and so I'm so fulfilled through it and I definitely see that area of my life growing and you know, we're already planning like bigger and better things for next year and growing that. So I see myself cutting back in the wedding area for sure. Um, I'm never going to cut it out. It's just, it's not, it takes a lot out of you if you're doing it every single weekend. And so I would rather be more choosy about what I'm taking on and then be able to kind of add in more bourgeois, more workshops. Awesome. Mm-hmm. So I keep hearing CJ's name pop up. Oh, Who yeah. is this fella or, or female? I don't. I have no idea, actually. Who's CJ? <laughs> CJ is a beautiful man that I'm engaged to. 
Um, we have been dating for three years. We just got engaged two months ago. Ooh, ooh. And, Congratulations. <laughs> and thank you. Um, so yeah, the, CJ is my man and um, he's wonderful and he's really stubborn and he is funny and he is very constant. He's very, um, you, and he, he can talk to anyone and make them his best friend. He's in sales, so I think that's a little bit, sales came after that. That is his personality. Um, he is much more calm than I am. I'm kind of like the bee buzzing around the room and he just sits and, you know, is chill. And, <laughs> and so um, we balance each other in that aspect for sure. Um, yeah. <laughs> so do you, does he have any influence on your business whatsoever? Not really. The only influence he has is, you know, me. He is like my center. And so anything that I do business-wise, I am thinking of him of like how much I travel. That means that's how much I'm going to be away from CJ. So he impacts my decisions about, you know, how I book my work. But he doesn't have a role. You know, he's not answering any emails. He's not a part of my brand. Okay. He doesn't come on shoots. Nothing like that. He's not... He's not interested in it, and it's not it's not there. So, uh, <laughs> and I, I'm kind of glad too. Like I, this is me, and he has his own thing. That's great. I mean, it, that's that's refreshing to hear because it seems like you know, oh wow, another couple, uh, another couple working together at weddings. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, I think that it it's it sounds nice, but honestly, our dynamics like. We are two ones, like we have are opinionated, we want it our way, and so if we were in business together, like we would be butting heads so much. So it's good that this is my thing and he has his own thing and I'm glad that it worked out that way. So you have a ton of experience uh, with weddings. Um, yes. Through photographing them and being an event planner and just kind of being around the business uh, for a while. So what's your what's your wedding gonna look like? Have you thought that far ahead yet? Oh, I mean, yeah, of course I have. Um, well, we are planning two weddings. Um, you know, <laughs> one's going to be a little crazy. Um, it is honestly like I have a whole new respect for my couples because planning a wedding is fucking really intense and um, not intense, but it's like overwhelming. You start out and you're like, oh God, I have so many decisions to make. But um, at the core of it, we are very excited for what we're planning. We're doing a small, more family wedding in Palm Springs. And then we are planning a bigger um, still intimate um, f friend celebration in the Yucatan in Mexico. So Palm Springs is going to be, you know, siblings and parents and close some of CJ's close family friends. And then, um, and then down in Mexico was my true, true, true dream. We found this. I found this 1850s hacienda in the middle of the jungle. Twenty people can stay there. Um, and so we're doing like a five day kind of wedding celebration and um, you know honestly like I'm not really a wedding person um, obviously I want to have a wedding but having been around weddings for so long like we're just not doing stuff that doesn't mean anything like so we're, for our ceremony we're gonna have everyone in a circle because at my sister's wedding like I stood right behind her because I was a maid of honor so I never got to see her face one time during the ceremony so we're not doing stuff that's traditional that doesn't make sense um, and then I'm so excited for that. Like, we're not having any flowers. I don't like flowers. So we're just, we're doing what we want. And um, and then after the wedding in Mexico, we're going to have three or four days of themed days. And I'm making, like, a book for all of our guests with, um, <laughs> with like, a themed name. And 
Um, we're going to be doing all these activities together, like tequila tasting and going in the cenotes and doing like a girls versus guys scavenger hunt. And it's going to be so sick. So wow. I'm really excited. Sounds like a wicked field trip for adults. Oh, yeah. It's going to be so fun. Do you, are you religious? Yeah, I, um, I'm a Christian. I have been a Christian my whole life. Um, my whole family is Christian and, you know, I went to a Christian school growing up. So growing up, it was definitely more like a little bit, you know, it was like in my every single day. And when I got to college, it kind of was like, this feels like a routine. And so I never like backed out of my faith or anything, but I was just like, I want this to feel real. And so I think that my, my relationship with Christ, my my faith has changed as I've gotten older and it has become less legalistic and, and Seattle has helped out with that <laughs> and, um, more just about, you know, a personal relationship with Christ. But I think the biggest thing is just impacting, you know, how I live and how I, um, the standard of life for myself and how I love others and treat others. And, um, that's kind of what my faith has become now as an adult. Okay, right on. Well, yeah. the, the, that, that question popped to my head because when you mentioned the circle thing for the ceremony, uh, I was thinking, are you pagan by any chance? But I guess not. Oh, gosh, no. Is that a pagan thing? Well, I'm not sure if it's a thing that they do, but I've been at pagan weddings before and they do. I've seen them do the circle thing. So What does it mean, a pagan wedding? Like Astro? I don't know what that means. Google it. It's interesting stuff. Okay, I'll but... Google it. <laughs> see, I'm just naive. Maybe I didn't even know that existed. We just want to do a circle so everyone can see everything. <laughs> no, it makes sense. It makes sense. So you are coming back to Sweden. When was the last time you were here? Um, the last time I was there was for a shooting a wedding in Stockholm. Um and that was, I think, three summers ago. I was supposed to shoot one of my good friend's weddings in Stockholm last year, and um, the date didn't work out. So I was really bummed about it. Um, Caroline and Eric met at the school we went to in Australia. They're both Swedish. And so I was super bummed that I couldn't shoot it. So um, I should have gone back last year. But, yeah, it's been, it's been a couple seasons since I've been back. And what are you looking forward to when you get here? If anything, if anything. If anything. I honestly, like... <laughs> I think that Seattle is the best city in the world, and I've been to so many cities, and I feel like Stockholm is the Seattle of Sweden and of Europe because of the way that it's laid out and has water going throughout it, and, you know, I just feel like I, Swedes and um, and Fili Filipino people are my most favorite people in the world, and I just feel like, you know, Sweden is very clean, the people are great, the fashion is amazing, like, it's so trippy to be in a place where everyone looks the same, like everyone's Swedish there and it's just so weird. And um, <laughs> I honestly, like, I just feel so at home in Sweden, which is, which is really nice. So I felt like really, really at, at home with it the first time I went there and I've always felt that every time I go back. Oh, that's great. You're, you really nailed it with the, well, minus the mountains, but um, the Seattle of Europe. I like that. Yeah. I, I can totally, I never really thought of it that way, but yeah. I agree. Yeah. And the, and the style thing. Uh, yeah. I'll just say that I'm from Canada. And oh, yeah. when I fly home every time, it's like, okay, everybody's polite and everybody's dressed like shit in sweatpants. That's like what I noticed now after living in Sweden for a while. I mean, the stereotype is so true. Like, good Lord, 
the women are just so beautiful. And I mean, so are the men, like in all the ponytails and the buns, like I'm <laughs> I am so into it. So it's, it's, um, I just like stand there and look at people the whole time I'm there. So with way up North, uh, what do you bring into the table? Oh, good Lord. Um, I am bringing, you know, I am trying to come up with some, not come up with, but bring something really new to the table that I haven't spoke about before. But I think that there's a current theme, you know, within me as a human and what I'm passionate about. Number one, I am bringing excitement and passion. Um, I, I hope that I'm someone that's fun to listen to and I and not just like a boring person that you have to sit through. So number one, I hope to, you know, like make people feel really excited. I want to strike, um, you know, just like a real sense of like inspiration of something real that people can bring into their brands and into themselves as a, you know, a photography business. Um, so yeah, I, that's kind of what I'm bringing. I'm not going to give away any specifics. <laughs> Good. Don't. You got to come to my damn speech, <laughs> but, um, I will probably be like ready to throw up on the stage. Um, I recently found out from speaking in Wales, like it's not in a bad way, but it's like I am so excited to speak and I want it to be really, you know, impacting. So there's a lot of weight in it and I'm just, I'm super, super pumped. So um, yeah, that's, that's the energy I hope to bring. So what are you, what, like, if anything, are you curious about from the other presenters, if you've looked into them at all? Well, first of all, when you guys asked me to speak, I had no idea who was speaking. And so it is really trippy. Well, nobody else did either. So it's oh, not like I, we are. I assume, <laughs> I assume that. But, you know, it is really trippy to be speaking next to people that in the very beginning when I first started shooting, like, you know, being like, oh, wow, these people are so incredible. Their work is amazing. And then. So that's so amazing. So I, um, I'm excited just to hear people speak. I've never been like a work, a workshop or conference attender. I've never heard other photographers speak. I've always, and that's kind of a good maybe and bad thing of good of just like I'm just doing my thing and I have no idea what other people speak about or their modes of presentation, but I'm just going to do what's right for me. So I'm excited just to, you know, hear what people are passionate about and maybe hopefully be challenged, obviously, and um, and also just have a good time. Good stuff. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, Andrea. Sounds like uh, our time is up. Okay. Uh, and you have to go to yoga. Yeah, totally. Got to get that in. But uh, I really enjoyed speaking with you. Yeah, me too. This was really fun. Um, I, I loved all the questions and... Um, I hope people just were smiling all the way through. <laughs> I was. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, thanks again. And uh, take care. We'll see you in Sweden. Rock and roll. See you later. Okay. Bye. Oh, Bye-bye. Andrea Lindquist. Um, not really sure about those Swedish words and translations in the beginning there, but uh, A for effort, both for Cole and Andrea. So I hope that talk gave those of you who didn't know Andrea from before some more insight into who she is. Thanks, Andrea, for taking the time. And uh, thanks also to Jeremy Lim for the music in this podcast. All right, uh, four more episodes to go now. Next up is James Mose, two weeks from now. But uh, that's it for this time. Talk soon. (laughs) 